0: Uh, Kids do stupid stuff, do they not? They do stupid things. And you know what? To be honest, we even do dumb things from time to time, uh, which is why we need God's grace. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in week two of Unstoppable Love. So right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to grab those out. Do some fill-in-the-blanks as we go along. And then we want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. That's a great place to go. If you have little ones that get fussy during the service, we just kindly ask that you take them out the main doors, and an usher can help you find that room where you can watch the service live with us. Well, if you missed last week at all, I want to encourage you to jump online at riverwaychurch.com and watch that back as we talked about the never-ending, unrelenting, unstoppable love of God. Um, as we talked about there's nothing that we could do to earn it, And we certainly don't deserve it, but yet God loves us fully at our very best and our very worst. And so today I want to talk about how this unstoppable love sustains us through His grace. And I don't know if you've ever needed grace in your life, if you've ever done something dumb, if if you needed someone extended you forgiveness uh, when it was hard for them. Maybe you made a mistake that, man, somebody just really came in and showed you grace. Uh, There was one time in my life specifically that really made an impact on me when it came to this, and it happened when I was 19 years old, and I was actually interning at a large church in Illinois. And I was going to be there for part of the summer, and it was my very first week on the job, so to speak, and we were in the back, and we were loading up a U-Haul truck to go to a a retreat. And there was going to be hundreds and hundreds of teenagers at this retreat. And so they packed in all the sound gear, all the expensive light gear, you know, everything that we were going to need. Basically, you know, what you see here to do at an off-site retreat. So we got done loading the truck, closed it, and the intern director said, "Um, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. Does anyone know how to drive a stick shift and could drive the truck around to the front of the building? And we're talking a massive building, right? And so I was kind of looking around, waiting for someone else to raise their hand. And because my father loved me when I was growing up, he taught me how to drive a stick in case I ever needed it, right? In this moment, and I just thought, well, this this is the divine moment that he's been preparing me for. I, I need to raise my hand. So I raised my hand. I said, yes, I know how to drive a stick. And so they said, all right, you get in the truck, drive around the building, and meet us up front. Now, I've never taken, I've never driven around the building. I don't even know where to go. I said, I don't know where to go. They said, you'll figure it out. Just follow the road all the way to the front doors. So I jump in the truck. The steering wheel's twice as big as I'm used to. You know, big old stick shift, not what I'm used to. And I start driving, you know, ever so slowly, trying to get the feel for it. And about, you know, a quarter of the way around, halfway around, I'm starting to feel, like, confident in my driving ability. And as I came to the front of this massive entrance, Uh, they had like one of those overhangs where you drop people off if it's raining. You know what I'm talking about? How many know about the overhangs? You've seen those on buildings, and some of you are way ahead of me. You know where this is going. And so I'm driving, and as I'm driving and I see it, there's only a few seconds to kind of decide, you know, will I make it underneath? Will I not? Because in my mind, I'm sitting in the cab of the truck, and the cab stops here. I'm thinking the truck stops here, and if the truck stops here, I'll make it okay. But what I didn't realize is there's about another three or four feet of truck above me, above the cab. And so I get to this moment where I've got to decide to slam on the brakes or just kind of go for it. And I just, instead of stopping, I just shrugged my shoulders like this, thinking I'll just squeeze in. And I went from about 20 miles an hour to zero, just like that. And I'm like, boosh. It was just like slow motion. I'm like, no. You know, and I back up the truck a little bit, and I get out, and I, I, the front of that truck looked like a sardine can. Someone had just taken the top right off of it. The whole front end, the storage area was smashed where they put all the expensive lights and the sound gear I later found out it was about $10,000 worth of damage in lights and sound. Everything was destroyed and I got out of the truck and I'm looking at it and I'm looking back at the doors. I'm looking at the truck, looking back at the doors, just waiting for someone to come out and finally the other interns came out and they were like, no, I mean, they just couldn't believe it. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And I went into the office because there was nothing we could do. I went into the office and I sat down in a chair and my head was in my hands and I just thought, my life's over. I don't, I don't even know what to do right now. I was so distraught. And I'll never forget the lady that ran the internship. She came in And, you know, after she had assessed and seen everything, she knew how bad it was, and she came in, and she sat on the floor, and she grabbed my hands, and she said, Ryan, look at me. And I looked at her, and she said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I said, yeah, but the truck and the retreat, no, we'll get another truck, you know. The lights and all, we won't have lights, okay, you know, but we'll get another truck, and hey, it's it's going to work out, and it's going to be just fine. Don't worry about it. Accident, in it's, it's going to be all right. And she just stayed there with me for a few minutes and just kind of consoled me and just told me it was going to be all right. And in that moment, it was such a picture of grace for me. And I wonder, would I have handled that the same way? I'd have probably gone in and ripped the kid's head off. You know, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And throughout that whole internship, never once was it brought up, never once thrown back in my face, never once uh, was I made to feel anything less than just a part of the team. And that was a moment in time for me that I felt extraordinary grace. And for every single one of us in this room, we've all made mistakes. We all have certain regrets. we all have things that we wish we could go back and rewind time and do something different. And really, when it comes to God's grace I think this is so fundamental, it's the first one in your notes The fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves is, what does God think of me when I fail? What does God think of me when I fail? And for most of us, I think it's really natural to assume that it's judgment, it's shame, it's abandonment, because those are not only the examples we see around us, but it's also something that is very human for us. Our relationships, as we talked about last week, are actually quite conditional. We like to say we have unconditional love, but if you throw in some betrayals and you throw in some hurts and you throw in enough time and all of those things, you'll find out how conditional our love really is. But to remember last week how we talked about that in order to grasp the unstoppable love of God, we have to stop thinking that God thinks like we think. God doesn't think like we think. He doesn't operate in the same way like we do with humans. He operates completely different. And that's why I love this quote from Bob Goff. He said this, that our worst day isn't bad enough and our best day isn't good enough. We're invited because we are loved, not because we are loved. We have earned it. Isn't that powerful? To know that this unstoppable grace that comes from our Heavenly Father meets us on our very best days and on our very worst days. And a great example of this is a story found in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus is dealing with the religious person, a Pharisee. He's actually a religious leader of the law who thinks he can earn God's grace. And the other person in this story is the sinful person. Actually, she's a prostitute. And she thinks that she doesn't deserve God's grace or God's love. And Jesus in this environment wants to teach them both a huge lesson about unstoppable love and unstoppable grace. And so if you've ever made mistakes in your life, if you've ever had regrets, if you've ever wondered, wished you could do something over again, this is a great story to pay attention to because it speaks exactly into the very spot that all of us have been. And I want to read the story and then we're going to come back and unpack it just a little bit. And so Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it begins this way. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, if we can just pause there for a moment could we just all agree that this might have been really awkward at that dinner party, right? I mean, if this was going on, you're trying to have some, like, General Sal's chicken, whatever they're eating, right? And all of a sudden, this woman comes in, and now she's at the feet of Jesus doing all of this. Hello, awkward dinner party, right? But it continues. It says, When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet— in other words, if he really is who he says he is, if he really is the Son of God, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a, what's that word? Sinner. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I mean, freaky, right? The guy doesn't even say it, he's thinking it, and now Jesus wants to respond to his thoughts. This dinner party is getting more exciting by the moment. Jesus answered his thoughts, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, who do you suppose loved him more after that Simon answered well I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt to which we'd all nod and say well that makes sense that's right Jesus said then he turned to the woman and said to Simon look at this woman kneeling here when I entered your home you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, right? Jesus says, listen, I know all about this woman. I know her mistakes. I know her regrets, and they are many, but they've all been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he even goes around forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So she gets up and she leaves the dinner party. And here's this incredible True story that shows both the religious person and the immoral person both needing God's grace. And I think for some of us, when we think about the religious person, it strikes us as a little odd because we often don't think of God needing to rescue this person, do we? I mean, this moral person, they're doing all the right things, they're jumping through the right hoops, they're crossing all their T's and dotting their I's. And I mean, this guy, if anyone's following the law, this guy is following and keeping the law. And yet, your first fill-in. one of the most dangerous things that can happen to a Christian is when we are proud of how good we have been. When we become proud of all of our goodness. Look at how moral I'm being. Look at how I've not missed a service. Look at how I've not missed a moment of devotions or time with God. Look at how I'm checking all the right boxes and I'm jumping through all the right hoops. This was this guy And yet as Christians, oftentimes we can become proud in our own efforts. Look at how good I'm being. Look at how I'm earning this. And if you get to this place as a Christian, you can often look at someone like the prostitute and say, wow, Jesus had to do a lot to save that person unlike me and didn't have to do a lot to save me. And suddenly, it becomes us versus them. Us, the good people that kind of need God's saving and kind of need His grace and kind of need His love to the group of people that really need His grace and really need His love. And what I sometimes find fascinating is that we come to the belief that somehow we're good people. And maybe you've heard this saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever heard that saying, right? I mean, people want to know that answer all the time. When really the question should be, why does anything good happen to any of us? Because we're all bad. We're all sinful. We've all come out of a place of brokenness. We've all come out of a place of needing a Savior. And yet we've been trained in our culture and even sometimes in church that good people get good stuff and bad people get bad stuff. And the idea that bad people would get good stuff goes against everything that our mind would tell us. But here's what we need to understand. It's your next fill-in That the Bible is not a record of good people earning God's grace. But it's a record of bad people receiving God's grace because Jesus earned it for them. That is what this gospel message is all about, that we couldn't earn it. We couldn't do it on our own. But this this Pharisee, this religious man, doesn't understand this. And that's why he says to himself in verse 39 that if this man truly were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And in that one statement, the Pharisee is revealing something very important. He's revealing that in his own mind and heart, he believes that God's grace and love are only for the clean and competent, not for the sinful and broken. You see that distinction? And there's many religious people that get there, that say, well, we've kind of earned more of God's grace. We've kind of earned more of God's love than some of those people. Look at how bad they are. Look at how many destructive choices they make. Yet we see again and again in Scripture that Jesus came for the unclean and the broken, which is actually all of us. All of us. And this religious leader was no better than the prostitute, spiritually speaking. They both needed grace, yet both were trying to get after it the wrong way. He's trying to earn it by his good behavior figuring out if I can just do enough good, then somehow God's grace will be shown to me. But the truth is, and you know this next in, that the grace that Jesus offers us isn't for the good, clean, or well-behaved. It is for sinful people longing for change. It is for sinful people longing for a different direction in life. Let's say, I, I've tried to do it my own way, and I've gone down this road so many times, and I realize that in and of myself I can't do it, I'm sinful and I'm broken and I need someone to save me from it. Because the reality is there is no real life transformation that takes place outside of Jesus. And there's many people that try. Come on, we all know people that have tried just about everything under the sun to bring happiness or peace into their life. Yet there's no self-help book, no amount of Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz that can make us what we want to be and what we long to be, whole, forgiven. You see, Jesus can change our life if we receive his love and grace. But for many of us, there's a barrier. Just like we talked about last week, how we don't sometimes always believe that God's love is unstoppable towards us. There's many of us that believe that maybe God's forgiveness has a limit. You know, I've made so many mistakes and some of the same mistakes and I find myself in these places that I don't want to be and I've already repented for it. I've already asked for forgiveness and yet they just seem to keep creeping up on me. Is there a limit to God's grace? Is there a limit where finally he says, you know what? I've forgiven you enough. No more. You see, it's hard for us to grasp your next filling, God's grace is so hard for us to grasp because we want to know what we can do to earn it that if what we did is wrong and that has caused us to be full of sin and broken in our relationship with God, there's got to be something that we can do to make it right. There's got to be something we can do. And so we say, God, just tell us what to do and I'll make it up to you. God, if you could give me like a to-do list, because we like predictable formulas, don't we? We like a checkbox. We like to be able to say, God, if you'll just kind of give me a 1 through 10, an A through G, just show me what I can do to earn your grace and earn your love. Man, this whole thing will be so much easier and I'll do those things. Then I'll feel better about myself because at least I've put some effort into this thing and now I've earned part of your grace. And yet the truest thing about grace is that we could never earn it. There's nothing that we could do to deserve it. Grace wrestles control out of our hands and puts it solely at the foot of the cross. Everything that Jesus did for us, that's why we have grace. And grace, that kind of grace is unnerving to us because it has absolutely nothing to do with us or our effort. And truth be told, we want some credit, don't we? And We want some control. We want some control in the matter to say, hey, we've earned it, we've done some good things to make up for all of our bad. And yet this, was, this is what David writes in Psalm 109, verse 26. He says, help me, Lord, my God. David's in a place where he's broken, full of sin. Will you help me? Save me according to all of my good deeds. Save me according to all of my best efforts. Save me according to all the checks that I've been able to put next to the box and all the hoops that I've jumped through. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? Save me according... To your unfailing, unending, unstoppable love, save me according to your love. You see, it's all about what Christ has done, and this is hard for the moral person to accept. It was hard for the Pharisee to accept this in the story. But yet God says, "There's nothing you could do to earn it, and everything you're doing to grow close to me is wonderful." but you can't earn my grace and you can't earn my love. It's just unstoppable and totally full towards you. We said last week that his love is like a gas gauge and it's just constantly on full. That there's nothing you could do to make him love you less and there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. It's full all the time towards us. And so God is very interested in saving the moral person who thinks that they can earn it themselves. And then there's the immoral person. Then there's the prostitute in the story. The prostitute who, I mean, come on, let's be honest for a minute. I mean, if you're in her shoes, wouldn't you take a little bit more subtle approach? Like maybe wait till the dinner's done, like you're hiding out around the side of the house, and then when Jesus walks out, like, Jesus, come over here. We need to talk about my sin. No, no, no. This woman just busts into the dinner party as if she's invited. A prostitute, no less bringing this jar, sitting next to the feet of Jesus. And as they're eating dinner, I can just imagine the Pharisee sitting there going, a, I know who this woman is. She's a prostitute, well-known in our city. And now she is sitting at the person who claims to be the Son of God. And as they're eating, he's just unfolding this, and she begins to cry, and it turns into a wail, and now she is sobbing through their dinner party. I mean, could you imagine this? They're eating dinner and this woman is wailing at the feet of Jesus and as her tears pour onto his feet, she's wiping it with her hair. I mean, this, is, this entire environment is full of very socially unacceptable things. I mean, would you not agree? I mean, when was the last dinner party you had that guest at your place? I mean, that would not be all right. And yet here she is pouring this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus and it is very obvious that she doesn't care who sees her or Who knows? because her desire to be forgiven was bigger than all of that. Her desire to be forgiven was more important than any socially acceptable appearances. It was more important than the gossip or what people would say about her because she she discovered this truth, and it's still true for us today. It's your next feeling that it's only when you come to the end of yourself that you find the grace of God. Only when you come to the end of yourself, when you realize, God, I can't do it on my own. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, and it's only led me into more brokenness. I am at the end of myself, and I need you. I need you. It's only when you come to the end of yourself that you find the grace of God. Now, here's what I find so interesting is that the prostitute got this before the Pharisee did. The prostitute realized this before the religious leader did. Full of brokenness, full of sin, willing to place herself in a very vulnerable place. And yet, that, isn't that the great news of the gospel? That it doesn't demand that you get clean before you come to Jesus? Jesus? I mean, part of us thinks that Jesus should have turned to this prostitute sitting at his feet saying, now, hey, hey, young lady, young lady, this is not the time nor the place. Lady, let, let me help you out. Let me help you out of the house. Let me kind you, this, this is not good. This is not good for my image. Um, I can't be seen with a prostitute crying and weeping at my feet. This is not good for the brand. For the brand and we, we just need to get you out of the house. And if you could first put on some more decent clothes, because I'm sure she wasn't wearing decent clothes, if you could put on something decent, and if you could like go get a sustainable job, just prove to me that you're serious about this life change thing. If you could go get a job three to six months, come back and check in with me and then we'll talk about grace and love and forgiveness and all of that. Doesn't that sound much more reasonable? Jesus doesn't do this. He demands nothing of her and gives his grace and his love willingly to her And that's how the gospel is with all of us. It doesn't demand that we jump through hoops or get our life together or get our a clean act before we come to Jesus. He's never turned away a repenting sinner. You see here next fill in God's capacity to clean things up is way greater than my capacity to mess things up. Just when you think that maybe you've messed up for the last time and God says no go, we realize this truth that we see again and again in scripture. That his capacity to clean things up is always greater than our capacity to mess things up. And that's why it's unstoppable grace. It's unstoppable love towards us. That it doesn't matter how long you've been gone. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how bad you've screwed things up. And you'd say there's no hope. God's unstoppable grace meets us right where we're at. and forgives us and says, come on, let's do this. Let's live now a different way. No strings attached. No hoops to jump through. And in this, you find freedom. A freedom that actually both of them were looking for. You see your next feeling that your relationship with God isn't dependent on you becoming better. And when you understand that, you actually start becoming better. It sets you free from having to earn it from having to be fake with God, but to admit our brokenness. That our becoming better all depends on Him. It all depends on His grace and His love that invites us into a place that now we're free to live differently. Now we're free to live away from sin and destructive choices. Now we're actually becoming better because of His grace and love that is unending towards us. Because at times, We simply believe and think that God will love us more the better we behave. But here's why this is so destructive, and and if you didn't hear anything else, hear this today. If we could earn God's grace, and if we could earn his love, and if we could earn his forgiveness, Jesus would never have had to die. God would have never had to send his son he would have never had to endure the most horrific death ever recorded in human history. But Scripture tells us that Jesus took all of our brokenness and sin upon himself. and He died for us. And once and for all, the penalty was paid. There's nothing you or I could do to earn it. It's already been earned. And all we have to do is receive it. We walk in it. And when we walk in it, experience this kind of grace. makes us want to live in it all the more. You see, while our society demands two-way love, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. If you'll love me, I'll love you in return. Grace is totally opposite. Your next villain. grace is a one-way love. Grace seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. And this is what the prostitute discovered. She had nothing to offer Jesus. It wasn't her morality. It wasn't all the good life she had put together that was going to influence or sway Jesus. No. It was that one-way love that loved her fully and had loved her the same since the time she was born. And she discovered this. It's so interesting that both the moral person and the immoral person are both after freedom. The religious person says, well, I can earn it and if I just make all the right choices and I can earn my way to grace, I can earn my way to freedom if I just keep all the rules. And the other person, the immoral person, says I can have freedom if I break the rules. One says if I keep the rules, God will give me grace. And this one says if I break the rules, at least I'll have freedom to do whatever I want. But both are, in fact, forms of self-salvation. Both trying to save themselves. And Jesus says, I want to set you both free with grace. And every single one of us, are that, those sinners, in need of that kind of grace. And as we wrap up, I want to read this scripture, Romans five eighteen, And Paul put it this way, and I'm reading out of the Message Bible. It says this, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all of this trouble with sin and death, Another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, Grace wins, hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end. See, when it's our sin and God's grace, grace always wins, hands down. That's why we can say your very last filling. When I am at my worst is when grace is at its best. When I am at my worst, it's when grace is at its best. And so who are you in this story? Are you the immoral person that has never came to the end of your rope to say, God, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to give in to you. I'm going to let you forgive my sin and give me a brand new start. Or are you the moral or religious person that has forgotten how much of God's grace you actually need? That all of your efforts have done nothing to give you more love or more grace. Those have always been unstoppable towards you. Have you begun to rely on your own merits rather than just reminding yourself again and again how much we need God's love and grace every day? See, I know there's some of us in this room that even though we hear it, it's hard for our brains to comprehend. Because for many of us, we fall into some of those same sin patterns again and again. And you think to yourself, well, maybe this just isn't cut out for me. Maybe this whole Christian walk thing isn't for me. Maybe there's teenagers in this room and you would say, it's okay for my parents, but there's no way that God's love extends to me. Something that Bob, Bob Goff said that I just think is so impactful is that God has never once looked in your mirror and wished he saw someone else. He's never looked in your mirror and wished for someone else to be there. Rather, he wants to take us and with his grace and his love transform us from the inside out. And it begins with our confession that says, God, I'm a sinner. Every day I need your grace. From this day until the end of my life, I need your grace. Just as much today as I did a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And 1 John 1.9 says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No strings attached. No hoops to jump through. If you would receive that kind of grace as a gift into your life, this grace has a way of changing us to become more like our Heavenly Father. So on your way in today, you got a communion cup that looks just like this, and I'm going to invite you to take that out right now. We're going to participate in communion as we close this service out. And don't open it yet. But in just a moment, I'm going to ask as this song begins for you to take a moment between you and God to say, God, which one of these people am I? one that needs sin forgiven in this moment to accept you as my savior the leader of my life or God am I, have, I, have I been relying on my the merits of my morality thinking somehow I have earned your grace or earned your love and in this moment just between you and God we get to ask for his grace and his love to fill our life again, to forgive us and to cleanse us. And on the very top layer, the very thin layer, you'll open it to release the bread and then the second layer release, releases the juice. But this bread represents his body, which was broken for us. And his, this juice represents his blood that was spilled for us. And Jesus, before he died, he said to his followers, he said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, don't forget the price that I've paid for you whether you've been on this journey for 20 years or 20 days, never forget the price that I paid for you, a grace and love that could not be earned and only received. And that's why we take this communion. It reminds us of our desperate need for him. So I'm gonna invite you at any point during the song for you to receive this on your own and to worship God and be reminded that his love never runs out on us. So would you stand to your feet all over this room? Let's have a moment to examine ourselves and then let's sing this together. Heavenly Father, we are so overwhelmed by a love and a grace that is unstoppable towards us. Would you help us to begin to grasp and understand and live in that truth that there is no height or depth that we could go where your love is not already there? God, there's no sin, there's no mistake that we could make that your grace wouldn't meet us there. Would you help us to understand this and to receive your grace and to receive your love? That for those of us that are like the religious person that has weighed too heavily on their own merits... God, would you open up our heart again to remind us of your incredible grace and the price that you paid that we get to receive it fully. And for those that have made too many mistakes to count and have felt unlovable, I pray in this moment that your grace and your love would overwhelm them. That they would know that it's never too late to begin again with you. It's never too late to let your grace change us to become more like you. To find freedom in this love that causes us to follow you and not the same path we've just come off of. And so we thank you for it. We receive it. Now let it change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.